Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 84. I am your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the famed and accomplished comic book writer, Charles Santino. Charles, how you doing? Very good. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure I can attest to being accomplished. Uh, I'm not sure about famed. Oh, of course but, you uh, are. But, <laughs> but I'll... But I'll take accomplished. And you're and you're here to talk with us about your latest project, uh, Rammer, issue number one, correct? Yeah, this is on uh, Indiegogo right now. It, it actually has been published digitally by Marcosia, my publisher in the UK, available on Comixology and Drive Through Comics. Two dollars and ninety nine cents for forty eight pages, and wow. they have they have graciously allowed me to go ahead and do a crowdfunding for a print version of the same 48-page comic book and and that's what this is about. Okay. Good. And I and and shoot and you know you've been around and people can and people can check out your 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 Indiegogo campaign right now on there. Um and you know you know looking it up you just go to indiegogo.com backslash projects backslash rammer dash one. You can see that and it talks about it, it kind of goes into details a bit about um, yeah, your background. You've been working in you've been working in the comic book field for you know close on what did you say thirty five years? 30, 35 years, uh, beginning with Marvel, uh, with Conan, some other uh, titles for Marvel, but primarily Conan. And that was back when they, it was selling about a hundred thousand copies, and nobody was paying attention to it. And a hundred thousand copies at that time, late eighties, right? That was almost a borderline of cancellation. Wow. To, to give you an idea of how the market has changed, if you do 100,000 copies a month now, you probably the number one comic. Mm. What do you think? So just you know, be, before we, we jump in, how do you – so what do you test that to about the fact that comic books, that the IPs of comic books are all over the place, but the, we haven't seen that translate into um, sales? What, no, and that, and that's because the, the market, the uh, – the, the market for comics used to be the corner grocery store, the corner newsstand, 7-Eleven, right. and, um, and and they're not carrying comics anymore. And so so now you got these movies based on these properties, and it's really not translating to uh, sales of comics. The people, they go to see the movie, they're interested in seeing the next movie, but they're not reading the comics. And if they go and check out the comics from the big two, then they're seeing something so completely alien and different from what they saw in the movies right. that it, it just turns them off. It, you know, if first of all they can find a comic book store in their town, there used to be ten thousand, twelve thousand comic book stores. There's now maybe fifteen hundred. So right. just just to find a comic book now is uh, is a task. Right, and I think here in Vermont there may be two <laughs> in the entire state that I can think of. Yeah, that 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 wouldn't surprise me. I'm in the Albany area, which you know Albany has maybe eighty thousand uh, people, and there's there's uh, there's one or two stores in Albany. There's one in Troy, which is nearby. There's one in Schenectady, which is nearby, and that's about it. Right. So how did you get in the eighties? How so? 
we've heard, you know, there's so many stories of people who wanted to get into writing comic books, but they just couldn't get through the door. So how did, how did you do that? By bugging the hell out of Larry Hammer, who was a editor of, uh, at the time, Savage Tales, which this was not the Conan version of Savage Tales. This would have been uh, volume two, which was sort of a, a, a He-Man adventure anthology and I thought, okay, great. I don't have to uh, uh, pitch to a, an existing character. I can pitch an adventure story, a short. And he bought my first uh, project. I did some work for the humor title, What The? Uh, yeah. Doing, doing a parody of the uh, Turtles. And uh, then got the uh, gig uh, for Conan. Basically, again, by just in, thrusting myself into the process and saying I'm available and uh, it was a uh, fill-in sort of situation, but it ended up being a fill-in for seven issues. Right. And they were all self-contained stories because I didn't know how long I'd be on the title. And so did you see yourself, Is that uh, was that something you kind of fell into or did you kind of pursue to, to write that level of like, you know, savage fantasy type genre? That was what I was looking for. I mean, I was, I was looking for uh, really hardcore, pulpy adventure. And at the time, there was uh, uh, the outlets for it at Marvel, Savage Tales, Volume 2, and, and Conan. Uh, the the humor, I, I had no problem writing humor, and I saw a, an opportunity there, and I thought, okay, uh, parody of the turtles that might uh, catch their attention, and it did. Okay. And then and then from there on, you after you wrote there, you, you, you still were in the industry for for a couple of decades after well that. off and on uh when the market yeah. collapsed in 94 right. and 95 when uh the 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 uh uh the investor market the uh, uh speculation market just crashed and burned uh i decided to get out and i decided if i came back i'd be more of a packager and somebody that was uh proposing uh, uh various projects and i also decided to pitch to the regular publishers, regular book publishers, who at that time were just starting to uh, do a lot of graphic novels. This would have been in the early 2000s. And uh, uh, one of the things I did in that campaign was to uh, do the first uh, Western graphic novel based on the, the work of uh, Louis L'Amour. Louis L'Amour. Okay. And that was, for, that was for Bantam. Because around 20 years ago, the, uh, the, the regular, so-called regular book publishers all started having graphic novel lines. And uh, I had worked uh, in publishing as, a, as an assistant editor for a regular book publisher. So I knew that, that, that culture, I knew that market, and decided to pitch to them. The other thing I'm doing currently is for the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate. I'm doing three web comics for them. Not Tarzan, not Tarzan, not John Carter, but some of the other uh, soap operas and melodramas that uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote in the 20s. Wow. So let me ask you, as a comic book writer, how, so what's easier or what, what, what's, the, what's the benefits and challenges you've seen by, um, you know, writing script adaptions versus other people's IPs versus your own IP? If you're doing an adaptation, there's a couple of advantages, which is if you get the assignment, well, you're not pitching anything except your own ability. Okay. So you're not pitching an original concept and you don't have to create an original story. You just have to figure out how to adapt an existing story. 
if you're pitching something original, you're not only pitching your talent, but you're pitching uh, a new idea. So there's a lot more creativity involved in doing something original, but it, it's quite a bit harder than just saying, I want to adapt this or adapt that. Okay. And so, you know, advice for, for folks that are looking into writing comics, um, what would you, would you suggest, you know, showing up with your own IP or writing like adaptions of existing IPs? If you're incredibly talented and you're either uh, a writer or an artist and you really, 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 really want to write Batman or draw Batman or write Spider-Man or draw Spider-Man, then definitely pitch, pitch to the, the, uh, Marvel and DC. But if you're interested in doing your own thing, then do it. There's, there's never been more opportunity to uh, do your own thing than there is now. Right. You know, it's a good point. I mean, it's like you see so many people are able to and like, you, you know, you know, say what you want about, as you say, like the the ability of, you know, you know, web comics and stuff. But there's just it's so like you said, it's so easy to create your own IP and put it out there for people. But be prepared to do all the work promoting it, because right. uh, in the distant past, uh, the publisher would do all the promotion for you. And now you've got to do it all yourself. My publisher for Rammer is uh, Marcosia in the UK. And they do some promotion, but they really expect me to do the bulk of the promotion. Right. So what was so what's the what was the benefit you found when you were looking at p producing Rammer? What was the benefit you saw in um, in, in, in going with and going with um, uh, Marcosia on that? A lot of uh, a lot of effort and a lot of time goes into producing the comic and then if you're self-publishing getting it on the platforms like comiXology okay. and drive through comics and i just figured okay i'm not going to make as much money having a publisher as i would doing it myself but it's more than worth it for me personally to not have to take the time to do all the things that the publisher is doing and I, I recently saw an interview with Harry Marcos, who runs Marcosia. And this is my third project with him. Rammer is my third project with him. Oh, wow. And he said that he gets 100 submissions a month. Wow. And picks one <laughs> on average. And the fact that I'm running three for three wow. with Marcosia uh, is it, kind of gratifying. I was always very happy that, that he had given me a green light on the three projects I brought to him. But now I know what it is I'm up against. So it's even, it's even more gratifying. And right. uh, he, he publishes quite a bit. And uh, everybody who has dealt with Harry Marco, uh, Marcos at Marcosia has nothing but good things to say about him. Uh, he's a really good guy. I'm glad he's my publisher. And the most amazing part of this is that when I came to him and said, look, I did two crowdfundings previously, but they were purely digital, didn't do well, and I want to do a print version of Rammer. You're my publisher. You're doing the digital. And he said, go ahead and do it. Go ahead cool. and do it. It's, it's good publicity for the eventual collection and for the, uh, uh, for the digital, which has been out since December. And I, I, I do want to make mention of the fact that uh, 
The gra eventual graphic novel will probably collect about three issues of Rammer, but there will be uh, pages that are not in the graphic novel that are in the individual issues. And conversely, there will be material in the graphic novel that is not in the three issues that will be eventually collected. So you have to have all of it. <laughs> it's, as, right. it's as simple as that to get everything. And so, and I, and you mentioned too, is that you can you see it in the um, in your write up on the Indiegogo page. You're being very specific to make sure it's printed on the classic 1980s newsprint. newsprint. Yeah. yeah, and uh, the uh, uh, trade paperbacks that I've done with Marcosia have been on non glossy stock. They've been all white paper, but flat matte non glossy stock. There's no way he's going to do a graphic novel in newsprint, but um, uh, for uh, Rammer number one newsprint, which is is my baby completely, I decided to go with uh, uh, with with the newsprint format. I still have not settled on a on a printer for that. There are a bunch of options I have uh, on that, and I'm not quite sure where I'm going to land for uh, for printing it on newsprint. But I, I do like the format. Right. And, and, and so you mentioned too, and we'll, we'll let's take a look at some of these images on here for you. Uh, so you found, um, talking about Rammer, you found Paulo uh, Perez. You love, you loved his style. It was reminiscent of the nineties uh, cartoons of the, the DC, DC cartoons of the nineties. I actually did a Google search and I think the keywords were, uh, animation style comics and i found his uh, website his portfolio and not all of the stuff was in that style but a lot of it was and i contacted him and he was available and he was interested and he did the lead story for the first issue which is a self-contained story he has finished uh penciling inking and coloring the second issue's lead story and he just got started working on the lead story for the third issue. Wow. And so so talk to us about, and you mentioned, I think, in some previous interviews about how important it is to find the right artist to... It's crucial. In, in, in a movie, it would be the same process as casting. You cast the wrong pro, uh, person in a movie, you got a problem. You hire the wrong artist uh, for a comic, you got a problem. And the wrong artist might mean that the style is not right, they're not really that talented, or it might mean they can't deliver and they simply disappear halfway through the project. So the wrong artist can mean a number of things that can uh, 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 bring you to a, a, a screeching halt pretty quickly. But uh, Paul has been absolutely fantastic. I give him very little direction. I give him uh, complete um, scripts. And every once in a while, I have to uh, explain a little bit what I'm looking for. I might give him some photo reference, or mm -hmm. I might even do a silly little sketch for him. But for the most part, uh, he's, he's fantastic. He comes up with uh, the perfect angles for things. This uh, page right there, that's an example of where I gave him photo reference. That wall I gave him photo reference on because I knew what I wanted there. Okay. And so he simply interpreted uh, in his style the, what that wall would look like. Now, uh, from, a, from a, like, kind of like a business 
perspective of this did you would you recommend would you recommend like uh comic book artists who say all right i can find somebody is it kind of a handshake thing or is there or do you do you recommend getting a contract written up with some clear expectations yeah the the only um agreements that were in writing were first of all a um work for hire meaning in this particular case he doesn't own the he, he's not a joint ownership on the copyright or the trademark but he does have uh participation and profits so it was work for hire and also the uh the page rate and the participation rate was was spelled out in writing the more you can spell out in writing the better off you are however if somebody disappears they don't produce yeah you have it in writing but what are you going to do about it right there's really nothing you can do about it so uh having a good sixth sense about the person that you're hiring is probably more important than any written agreement although the written agreements are important as well right i mean in a way it's like the you know the the world of you know com you know producing you know independent comics it's large but it's also really small at the same time so there's almost a want to make sure you keep a good reputation as well so that that's helpful too well, from, from the posts I see from various people who are, have hired various artists, apparently there are a lot of artists who are not particularly concerned about their reputations because <laughs> of, of the way they have disappointed the people who have hired them. Right. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting point. Uh, so let's jump in and, and, and let's, let's chat a little bit about, about Rammer. So... And do you, so you mentioned, so there's a few things on this that, that people can expect about, about Rammer. Um, you're, you're very clear and almost, you know, like proud of some of the things that you say, listen, these are the things you're not going to see. Like you said, you're not going to see an origin story. You're not going to see like big crowds. You're not going to see a lot of things. Um, and T talk to us about that, but what what your um, what you mean by by that principle of the back to basics comic book storytelling? Yeah, I mean there is no origin that because the only the only thing we don't really know about him is when did he first get this gear? Uh, his wrist blasters and leg jets are powered by a compact fusion reactor strapped to his back, and on his chest is a a hydrogen ram scoop, all very high tech. It takes place in the future. So, okay. So at some point he got that. He's a thief. He, right. He's in a he's in an authoritarian dictatorship, a police state. Fine, makes it very tough for him to be a thief. That's it. Um, the the cast of these things is really really small. The lead story in the first issue, not counting the the uh, robot police. There's three characters, of course, not not counting these two these two uh, uh, thieves who try to jump in on um, <laughs> Rammer's Rammer's heist at the beginning. Doesn't go well for them. I'm not even I'm not even counting them because they snuff it in the first couple of pages. There's basically three characters in this story, and all of my stories are like that. Just a really small handful of characters, and one of the things that I like in stories and what I'm doing with these stories and virtually nobody does is 
what happens in these stories is only known to the handful of people that the stories happened to. Most comic book stories these days are these galaxy-spanning, globe-spanning epics with a cast of thousands, and the entire world knows about the main characters. Mm. But all of these stories are under the radar. Okay. So it's it's on a small, very small scale, which to me makes it more exciting because Rammer wants to keep his activities under the radar, which is a little bit difficult, but he manages to do it. And I, I do like the idea of a smaller cast. The scope of the sm stories is smaller and uh, you've heard the cliche, less is more. Well, I think that applies here. And do you see, um, you mentioned there's some other like kind of like um, some side stories in there. Is it also the part of like being deliberate about keeping the story small? Does it give you that opportunity to um, maybe allow more, uh, uh, maybe some anthology adaptions by having other writers potentially in the future to say, hey, can I, I, if you would reach out and say, do you want to tell a story in your tops universe here? Or... If I if I get to the point where there's other writers, I will consider that a huge success. Hmm. But I don't see that anywhere uh, happening in the near future. the The first issue has a 24 page lead story about Rammer, Paulo Perez art, a six page backup story with art by Marco Perugini, and then the 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 co-feature comic within the comic, Tops Tales of the Police State. These are tiny little vignettes, uh, depressing little stories about life in the police state that do not feature Rammer, but take place in his universe just to give the readers an idea of what it is like to live in this world. And so these are very short, I call them vignettes, self-contained stories. There's two of them. Uh, Marco did one of them, it's four pages. There's another one that is uh, two pages. And for anybody that feels like, oh, Rammer is pulpy, it's a guilty pleasure, I need to uh, engage my intellect. I like Fantagraphics comics, and don't get me wrong, I love Fantagraphics, they've published me. Yeah. I wanna, I wanna, uh, I wanna read something uh, in, in intellectually engaging and depressing. Well. Then I have the Tops Tales of the Police story. Uh, stop on this poster. This is in the first issue. It's also one of the perks as a separate poster. This is a propaganda poster. Dominatra, also known as Dami, is the big sister of the police state. She is uh, maybe not real. We don't know if she's real or not. We see her, her uh, statues. We see her image. And I told this artist, Matt Chick, he's in New York City, I said... I gave him a, a character sketch of, of Dominatra, and I said, I just need a, a propaganda poster with her image, the words, Dami loves you, and in the background, the flag of the GFA, the Global Freedom Authority, they run the planet. And uh, Matt did a, just an incredible job with this poster. It kind of reminds me of Metropolis. I, people have said that, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was his interpretation of this uh, of this character. And yeah. this is uh, not only in the first issue, but it's also 
one of the perks with the Indiegogo. It's a separate poster that people can get. Okay. So the other, so my other question for you about this is that did you, how long have you been sitting on Rammer as a, as a story? As a character in its basic conception of a guy with this equipment strapped to him, literally 27 years. Wow. I, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal about the hydrogen economy of the future. <laughs> And I thought, okay, that's pretty interesting. We're going to figure out how to do uh, cold fusion. We're going to figure out how to do clean energy from hydrogen. The only byproduct of, of fusion is going to be uh, water and, and the energy itself. That's fantastic. And then I remembered from the Larry Niven science fiction stories, the ram scoop hydrogen uh, 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 engine that was used on starships. So it would suck in hydrogen and use fusion reactor to create energy. So I thought, why not have a character with a ram scoop on his chest? So <laughs> that's where the name Rammer comes from. A compact fusion reactor on his back, and that creates the energy that uh, powers his wrist blasters and his leg jets. And is a compact fusion reactor ridiculous? Yes. But it is no more ridiculous than a guy bitten by a radioactive spider. <laughs> And so every uh, the importance of every hero is only as powerful as who their antagonist is. So how long were you sitting on Rammer before you decided to create the world around him? Well, he went through a couple of uh, uh, versions. Uh, Joe Staten drew the first version of him. Uh, a fellow named Andrew Wendell, who did work for Valiant in the 90s, he did uh, the second version. And then uh, a little bit more work with Joe Staten and then uh, Paulo Perez. And the, what you just said about villains in, in, in superhero comics is absolutely true and valid and I would say important. And I kind of threw it out the window for Rammer because the, the people he goes up against, because these are crime stories, these are heist stories, these are right. caper stories, Generally, the bad guy's dead at the end of the story and anybody else who happened to get in the way. So the villains are, I hope, interesting and engaging and a match for Rammer simply because in many cases they've got the drop on him. But uh, in most cases, they don't survive. So uh, that I can't make them so interesting that you are going to be really upset when they snuff it. Well, I was thinking more like the police state is the villain. Like it's that well, itself. Well, the police state is sort of the the background that he has to operate against. And the villains are always cronies of the police state. So the first three stories actually involve a, uh, a guy named Corvus, who was a bureaucrat and uh, became a, a, a collector of uh, band art and also got in trouble because he got a little greedy, took too many bribes, ended up in prison. So he is a functionary, a tool of the police state, but not he, doesn't, he is not the police state. He's simply... Right. He's simply uh, um, um, a tool of the, of the police state. So 
the police state itself is a is a, a villain that only really comes to the forefront in the tops tales of the police state stories but even then you're dealing with the low level functionaries who are counting uh, ca uh, uh, carrying out the dictates of the police state i really don't want to get too much into the actual seat of power and any of that that's not interesting to me it's more interesting you know if you read a a, a story about a, a contemporary heist story that takes place in the united states in 2021 well you're going to deal with the local police and the local authorities you maybe you're going to deal with the fbi maybe or, or maybe not so i want to keep things on the lowest possible level while reminding people what it is that's in the deep background. Right. Do you have, because you've been working in comics for years, and Ramry you said is one of your creations. Do you, you must, you must, Charles, you must have a notebook full of other character ideas that you think, should I put this one in or that one? And do you have this? Are you, are you, are you constantly fighting with yourself to say, hey, I want to make this simple. I want to make this good. But then, how do you do? You, how much you have to fight with yourself to not throw in more ideas? Be, when I started uh, doing Rammer in earnest a couple of years ago, I, I kind of uh, tweaked my thinking so that anything that I thought of was directed at what it fit in Rammer. <laughs> There's a couple of other things that I'm working on that are uh, not related at all that are are being pitched to other publishers but 95 percent of my thought process goes into thinking what's going to work in rammer and and tops tales of the police state okay and the other thing well i found is like so correct me if i'm wrong but there is no dialogue right in issue number one there is but there's also quite a bit of uh there are captions that give us uh, uh rammer's thoughts but uh, he does have dialogue, and the other characters have dialogue as well. But there, there, there are a lot of captions. I look at the, the pictures, to use a sports analogy, I look at the pictures as the play-by-play, -play, and I look at the captions and dialogue as the uh, color commentary. Okay. Because that was one of the yeah that was one of the points you mentioned. Like this is you're telling a visual story. Like you're not going to say wall to wall word no, bubbles on this. I, I tr what I try to do is I try to make sure that you get something from the pages visually. You can tell what's going on, but the the captions and the dialogue will explain exactly why uh, what is happening is happening. Okay. So talk to us a bit about well, let's you know go through your um, uh, your your perk levels here. So yeah, it's really simple. Uh, you know, I I was on uh, uh, with uh, Phil Russert. I'll be on with him again. His character is tragedy. He's got nineteen alternate covers. Wow, I have zero. <laughs> There's actually an alternate cover, but it's actually in the comic. It's not an alternate cover per se. The The perks are, are as simple as I could possibly make them. There's the comic itself, signed yeah. by me, newsprint, uh, newsprint, 48 pages, $18. That includes the shipping. Wow, okay. The second, in the U.S., uh, the second, 
I just talked to somebody who said that she shipped a, shipped a comic to uh, Germany. I don't know where in Germany, but it was a single comic book, and it cost her $63. Oh, jeez. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Uh, the second perk is the comic plus a signed sketch by Paulo Perez, $40. The third perk is the comic, 48 pages, signed by me, and a print signed by Matt Chick of the Dami propaganda poster. Okay. And the fourth and final is... The comic signed by me with the sketch and the propaganda poster for $60. Again, all of that is postpaid in the U.S. Okay. Wow. That is a great deal. If you think about it, like you can't find something like that. Like if you just go into the store, there's no way you're going to be able to get that. Yeah. The, um, the, yeah, the original art, especially plus yep. the, um, uh, uh, plus the comic itself, the propaganda poster and the original art, will all be ever so slightly smaller in dimensions than the comic so that it can be slipped into the mailer and mailed anywhere without uh, in incurring a lot of extra expense. Right. And, and I, we... uh, pe people seem to be okay with posters and things being uh, a reasonable size. Right. Now, talk to us a bit about as well as like, as you said before that, that you're, you already have three issues plan like this is going to be there's going to be three issues correct yeah there's i'm going to keep going with this as long as i can the first issue is done mm. completely finished including the lettering the second issue the the primary main story which is a bit longer than the first issue's lead story is second issue 34 page main story that's done polo perez pencils inks and um uh color that just needs to be lettered and then some backup stories for issue number two. And Paulo has started number three. I'm in the process of writing the lead story for number four. So I'm going to produce these as fast as I can. And, uh, you know, they'll all be self-contained stories, so you don't have to worry about it. Well, if I read number one, am I going to be left hanging? No. Three. Uh, there's four stories, 24 pages, six stories. Four, uh, 24 pages, six pages, four pages, two pages, all self-contained. Every issue, no matter how many stories it has, will be self-contained. The first three primary lead stories are loosely connected, but you don't have to read all of them to read any of them. Are you looking at too, like when uh, when you put out the, your, your Indiegogo campaign for issue number two, if somebody hasn't discovered issue number one is there going to be a tier for that where they can get both i haven't thought about that but i'm going to make a note because when i get there that's probably something to think about and uh it'll be available at that point so maybe uh including that as a part of a package uh, might be a pretty good idea okay all right cool yeah it's um and and so so you said that like you're looking at this as, you know, you're going to keep going as, so what are you looking at? Like, as like a, you know, like a turnover, you're going to maybe once every six months or once a year, how many, how many issues can you, how many people can expect? Uh, right it? now it looks like it will be somewhere between six months to a year, Okay. but the better it does, the faster I can produce it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, my, my other question as a writer, so this is something I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about as well. 
Do you see yourself when you, when you sit down at the script, we're writing it, do you see yourself, um, you know, generally speaking, kind of uh, creating the world first and then putting in a character? Um, actually, you mentioned you had Ram already created initially, but just as your style, do you kind of find a character then write a world around her or do you create a world and then see what characters live in that the, world? The, the character comes first. Okay. And then I build a world uh, around that character. In the, in the case of, of Rammer, I uh, decided, okay, he's a master thief in a future police state. So what would be the minimum I would need to do to flesh out that police state to create an environment for him that still focuses on him? Right. And you have, and so, but also when you, when you create that, how much do you have to then go into? Cause I saw you have a really cool glossary, kind of like a sample of glossary as you write that do you still, then, then you, then what's the first thing you look at when you build that world? Is it like geography, politics, science, language? Well, you, How did, did that work? You, you did your homework. You saw the glossary. The glossary was a result of, taking a look at everything that had been created in the course of writing the stories and realizing, okay, I can give people this glossary. I can mention all this stuff that's, that's been created in the course of coming up with the character uh, and his world. And I do try to keep it to an absolute minimum because it's so easy to just go so far into this world be building that people kind of get lost in the sauce. And I decided, let I just want to keep it to the absolute minimum right. that they need to understand what this world is about. And one of the things that um, some of the people I've been talking to about uh, merchandise have, have said is they like the idea of, I, I said to them, if I'm gonna have one piece of merchandise available, beyond the comic itself, not counting the perks, right? what would it be? And people like the idea of patches and pins. Right. And so I thought, well, the flag of the GFA, the flag of the Global Freedom Authority, which you can see in the background of that Dami poster, that is a great idea for a patch or a pin because it's just the simple colors of right. the flag and it's a great uh kind of conversation piece somebody sees it on on your clothing or wherever you put it and they go what is that and it's very uh simple and arresting and and then it can be a discussion item and one of the things i did when i designed the gfa flag was i realized okay i've got to um uh, make sure it doesn't mimic an existing flag <laughs> and then somebody that i was talking to the other day said you know you looked at all the world flags maybe you might want to take a look at the terrorist organization flags <laughs> to make sure it doesn't mimic any of those right and so i did that and and fortunately the gfa flag does not mimic uh, if you hold on this picture, you see that flag in the background there. Yeah, there it is. The The two top stripes are black and then green and then blue in the middle, light blue in the middle. And um, so fortunately, it doesn't mimic any uh, uh, 
nation's flag or any uh, any terrorist group flag. So my my only concern is that it, it that that if if Rammer becomes popular, that somebody adopts that flag as their flag <laughs> of the, of their no good organization. But there's nothing I can do about that. So, because you, 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 you talked about it in your thing, like you want to be deliberate and not add in a lot of backstory and things like that. But as 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 the creator of this IP and someone that's like, you know, Rammer, this world is kind of near and dear to your heart. Do you kind of fight with yourself to say, I want to keep it as basic as possible, but then at the same side, do you maybe have people will, you know, as, as Rammer gets more and more popular, that they'll interpret some backstory on their own yeah that's possible they might um they they might be able to piece things together and uh, uh you know in the same way that uh the people who became obsessed with conan's world decided right. to try to piece together the, the the history that was implicit in the background of the stories and hey, if people are out there doing that, uh, that that tells me that the the character's catching on and, and more power to them. Um, I, I'm probably not going to feed their obsession with uh, details that are not in the stories, but uh, you know they're 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 free to come up with their own ideas as to what what is actually going on in the background. Right. Yeah. So so what's so as you said, like you're going to be you know, issue number two is you said it's already written up well, been, yeah, uh, uh, the, the lead story is is completely finished yes okay and and you are you're already just checking it out on here you're already past your flexible goal you got 18 days left um so that's exciting so you've already reached you've, you've reached the goal that you were hoping for yeah i'm i'm really happy about this uh because i had no idea what was going to happen where it was going to go and I did spend quite a bit of time before the launch trying to build up recognition for the property. The digital version was uh, published on December 31st by Marcosia on Comixology and Drive Through Comics. So I, I did have uh, some time before that and after it to get people ready for mm. for the property and also to distribute a free uh, digital preview issue number zero, which is still available, and uh, if you go to the uh, the Indiegogo, there's a link to getting that that free preview issue. Nice. So, it was a process of uh, getting it out there, and then once the campaign launched, to try to do as many interviews as I as I could. And you know, it's no stranger to anybody who's involved in in something like this that you spend you know, maybe five times as much time of promoting yourself as you do actually sitting down and creating something <laughs> it's true <laughs> and if i get to if i get to a thousand dollars i can actually afford to print this thing without <laughs> without without dipping into my bank account that's awesome yeah so that's that's great i think i mean you got it you got a little under three weeks left there's i i mean it's i don't i know i never i never want to jinx anything by saying anything but i i'm your uh, you're obviously met your flexible goal and um, you're well on the way. So that's exciting. Yeah. The, the, uh, what I learned from uh, talking to people, cause I, I didn't quite understand the way Indiegogo works completely. The minimum goal is you can have it, whatever you want. And the flexible goal means that you collect whatever you, you got to, but 
if you get to a minimum of 500, then when you're done, you can do the in-demand store. So I was very okay. I was very interested in turning this into a store when I'm done. And now I'm trying to figure out what the offering will be in the store. I want the offering to be unique. I, I want it to be something that was not quite what was available in the campaign. So I'm thinking uh, the comic and the propaganda poster and some other piece of merchandise, maybe that patch, maybe that pin, either with the uh, the flag, maybe maybe both of those items. But I don't want the people who contributed to the uh, campaign to feel like, oh, wait a minute, uh, you know, I could have just gotten this in in the in-demand store. So I don't want to do that. I, I want to make the package that's in the store a little bit different than what's in the campaign. Okay. Wow. That's cool. Well, I think so. Yeah. So yeah. So congratulations, Charles, on, on reaching you. it. I'm excited to, I'm excited to, to check it out as well. So, and, um, and I'm excited to just, you know, I love, I love the, the concept. I love the artwork that you picking out, you know, uh, picking out Paulo, I think was, a was, that was, a uh, that, that was a great advantage for you and creating a, and I, like you said, the part of the, the things that I like about it are the things that you mentioned that you did, like nothing big, having it seem, seem intimate and a large backdrop, uh, I think is it's good. And also being able to create a, have it based off of, as you say, kind of like the anti-hero, but it's hard to call them an anti-hero if they're based in a, in a world that is like an oppressive regime almost in a way too. Right. So. For the most part, the people that, uh, cross his path and do not survive are not really nice people so it's not like he's 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 uh you know rolling drunks in an alley or anything like that you know right generally the people he's robbing or the people that uh uh have violent encounters with him pretty much get what they deserved right yeah that's awesome yeah. Well, thank you very much, Charles. This has been great, thank and I and I and I look for and I and I, I look forward to you know more of your continued uh, successes on your projects. Thanks a lot. And are you going to have because so you got your you got your rammer, rammer. I said that right. Yeah, rammer. That's, yeah. Ninety nine percent of the people pronounce it correctly. Okay, what does the one percent people say? Uh, Ramur. They they see that they see that U and it throws them off. And there's a story as to why it's spelled that way, which is a, a little interesting. And maybe we'll have time for that. Okay, and like, so, so do you have? How can someone get their hands on a rammer hat? Uh, this is not a hat. This is this is a black hat that I I printed out the logo and pasted it on. Um, I, and I've had discussions with other people about what's good merchandise. And uh, uh, yeah, I just threw this. On. It's funny because I've done so many of these streams, and I'm waiting, still waiting for when my image to come up for somebody to say, "So what is it you're promoting again?" <laughs> <laughs>